Okay, class, today we're going to talk about monopolies. No, not the game. Can anyone tell me what a monopoly is? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody but Brian? Hey everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of Anybody But Brian. Uh, In today's discussion, we're going to tackle the topic of monopolies and the effects of corporate consolidation. Now, as a disclaimer, I currently work for Siemens, a large industrial conglomerate, and have been involved in several mergers and acquisitions throughout my career, both at Siemens and elsewhere. So I want to say that the views expressed during this podcast are strictly my own and in no way reflect the policies, views, or strategies of my employer, Siemens AG, or any of its affiliates. (laughs) All right. Uh, So now that that's disclaimers out of the way, we're going to dive in a little bit of history around monopolies. Specifically, we're going to start out in the 1800s and what led to the passing of the Sherman Antitrust Act in 1890. Uh, In short, the pummeling of the United States by a variety of powerful 19th century industrialists and financiers who made fortunes by monopolizing huge industries through the formation of trusts, uh, engaging in unethical business practices, exploiting workers, and really paying little attention to customers or competition – brought a great deal of public outcry and eventual government intervention. Uh, These individuals, commonly known as robber barons or captains of industry, usually depending on your political uh, leanings, uh, included individuals such as Vanderbilt, Rockefeller, Fisk, Carnegie, and Stanford. Um, And these individuals compiled their great wealth through the monopolization of oil, steel, railroads, and the financial services industries. At this time in America, the Industrial Revolution was largely unregulated, so it was possible for this small number of men to dominate these crucial industries uh, as America began to grow. Conditions favored vast accumulations of wealth included uh, extensive natural resources being discovered in the country, enormous potential workforce uh, due to immigrants arriving in the country both from Europe and Asia, uh, as well as the general acceleration of business in the years following the Civil War and Reconstruction. Railroad builders, in particular, needed political influence to build their railways and became adept at influencing politicians through the use of lobbyists, or in some cases, outright bribery. Uh, In the public's mind, these robber barons are often associated with political corruption, and the concept of laissez-faire capitalism, which dictated no government regulation of business, was promoted openly. Um, Facing few impediments to create these monopolies and engaging in shady stock trading practices or exploiting workers, uh, these small collections of individuals made enormous fortunes. Now, in response to this, Congress passed the first antitrust law, the Sherman Act, in 1890 as, quote, a comprehensive charter of economic liberty aimed at preserving free and unfettered competition as the rule of trade. The Sherman Act broadly prohibited anti-competitive agreements and unilateral conduct that monopolized or attempted to monopolize specific markets. The act allowed the Department of Justice to bring forth lawsuits against potential violators and also join uh, similar cases, as well as additionally authorizing private parties injured by conduct violating the Sherman Act to bring lawsuits for damages, um, as much as three times the money uh, as the violation cost them. Over time, the federal courts eventually developed a body of law under the Sherman Act, which made certain types of anti-competitive behavior illegal, and subjecting other types of conduct to case-by-case analysis regarding whether it was unreasonably restraining trade. 
1914, Congress passed two additional antitrust laws, the Federal Trade Commission Act, which created the FTC, and the Clayton Act. Uh, And with some revisions, these are the three core federal antitrust laws that are still in effect today. Unfortunately, in large part due to deregulation of the market, most of these principles are no longer broadly applied. Uh, One could argue that tech moguls of today, like Bezos and Zuckerberg, are somewhat robber barons of their own right. Uh, With the massive wealth that they've now acquired, the CEOs at the top of many tech companies aim to dominate those that they used to serve. Uh, For example, Netflix is undermining Hollywood, so to speak. Uh, iTunes basically murdered the music industry with the exception of the vinyl revival. Uh, Uber is wiping out the old order of cabbies. Uh, Google, Facebook, and social media are generally supplanting newspapers, and Amazon has significantly disrupted the book industry as well as apparel, supermarkets, and electronics. Uh, As numerous scholars, including Robert Gordon, have pointed out, the new social media-based technologies have had little positive impact on economic productivity, now growing at far lower rates than during past industrial booms, including the 1990s Internet Revolution. Much of the problem, as noted by MIT Technology Review editor David Rotman, is that most IT investment and social media information investment no longer serves the primary basic industries that drive most of the economy. In short, uh, a wide array of middle and working class jobs, uh, instead of being used to build items or kind of deliver goods and services, have been minimized uh, while there's a collection of capital that's created from these new technology companies Uh, and basically concentrated in a very small group of people uh, and shareholders in those companies. Nevertheless, the uh, goal of this episode is not to spiral into a neo-Luddite rampage against technology or anything like that, Uh, but instead we want to talk about modern monopolies and oligopolies created through corporate consolidation and how that impacts the average American, uh, which in short is not very well. So while it may be common sense that less competition in market Uh, means that consumers are worse off. There are three central areas where corporate consolidation has hurt consumers very specifically. Uh, The quality of the products that they consume, the price of the products and services we use, uh, and lastly, wage stagnation. To start, the general assumption is that less competition breeds less innovation, uh, thus ultimately resulting in poor quality products for you to buy. And that makes sense. Uh, If there isn't someone out there that's creating something better, what's the incentive for the incumbent in a market leader uh, to really make any changes? There isn't. And while there are a variety of startups out there that sell the dream of a unicorn valuation for their new software, there are relatively few disruptors in traditional industrial market segments. Uh, To comprehend the scope of this corporate consolidation, just think through the day of an average American and how long does it take that individual to come in contact with a market that's basically monopolized. The individual wakes up to browse the internet, uh, access which is sold through a local monopoly. She stocks up at a local food store such as Walmart, uh, Walmart owning roughly a quarter of the grocery store market. Uh, She might get indigestion and go to a pharmacy for medicine, which is likely owned by three companies that control 99% that market. Uh, If she's stressed out and wants to relax outside the shadow of an oligopoly, uh, she'll have to stay away from e-books, music, and beer, all of which are controlled essentially by two companies for more than half of the sales in those markets. There's basically no escape. Um, Maybe you could try boarding an airplane, but obviously four corporations control 80% of the seats on domestic flights. 
Uh, And the fruits of those oligopolies are clearly demonstrated by how those entrenched industrial financial companies use their money. Consider the 449 companies in the S&P 500 that were publicly listed from 2003 through 2012. During that period, those companies used 54% of their earnings, a total of $2.4 trillion, to buy back their own stock, almost all through purchases on the open market. Stock dividends then absorbed an additional 37% of all of those companies' earnings. Examining these statistics, it's clear that firms have given incredible gains back to their top investors, usually, of course, in the upper class, while leaving very little for investments in productive capabilities or better products. Furthermore, the scarcity of shares on the open market due to these stock buybacks drive up the share price for the public, often rewarding corporate executives who hold stock options and are trusted to make these strategic decisions. Now, that kind of sounds corrupt, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, it's not just a a left-wing kind of parody. Uh, The trends also become dangerous in the minds of top investors and economic advisors. Uh, Quoting Lawrence Fink, who's the chairman and CEO of BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, uh, too many companies have cut capital expenditure and even increased debt to boost dividends and increase share buybacks. Plainly, rather than improving the productivity of their firms or the product the consumer receives, profit dollars are being returned to top shareholders in record numbers. Now, getting back to the airlines for a minute, which is a very easy punching bag, uh, the corporate mergers of Continental and United, uh, as well as U.S. Airways and American, have left a market where U.S. flyers have four companies that control nearly 85% of all flights. Uh, This is likely the clearest example of how oligopolies inhibit price competition, not only in terms of poor service and the prices of the flights themselves, but in the case of bag fees. As hard as it is to imagine, there was a mythical time way back in 2008 when American Airlines was the first carrier to announce to check bag fees. It took less than a year for United Continental, U.S. Airways, and Delta to add similar fees and jump on board, because why not? Where else are you going to go? Um, While Southwest is the only of the major four carriers that doesn't charge for check bags, they don't fly everywhere the other large carriers do. Uh, There's a joke on a previous Last Week Tonight episode with John Oliver that basically said, how else are you going to get to Houston? Uh, The vast majority of the flights there, especially out of uh, Bush Intercontinental, are all Continental United. So it really limits choice. Um, And since that time, 10 years ago, airline revenue from bag fees went from $0 to $4.6 billion in 2017, according to figures from the U.S. Department of Transportation. That's $4.6 billion of essentially pure profit for carriers who are providing a service for free and then were able to institute a new fee due to lack of competition. And the only way for it to go is up. As a matter of fact, in August of this year, JetBlue announced it was raising the first check bag fee from $25 to $30, and other airlines are expected to follow suit. Now, both of the items we just discussed are standard responses to monopolies and oligopolies. Less innovation, less competition means suboptimal products for a higher price. Uh, But one of the negative externalities that's rarely discussed is wage suppression. In the simplest form, if there are fewer companies in an industry, there are fewer companies that can compete for your services and as an employee. 
you have fewer opportunities to go to a competitor and try to leverage your experience for a higher salary or better benefits. Additionally, if you look more broadly at corporate consolidation in terms of mergers and acquisitions, almost every deal has cost synergy targets, meaning that there's an expectation from the board or from the shareholders uh, and a promise from the management team that the acquiring company can eliminate costs from the acquisition target company. These cost synergies typically come from the consolidation of labor pools, whether that's the elimination of accounting or HR positions because the new business can be covered by the existing departments of the acquiring business, um, or the elimination of blue-collar production jobs because the new demand can be covered by the acquiring company's existing product base. It all adds up to fewer jobs and fewer opportunities for employees. In a recent paper, London Business School Assistant Professor Simcha Barkey uh, explained that corporate consolidation plays a significant role in the decline of labor share, that is, the share of money made that workers receive of companies' profits. He explained that American industries across the economy between 1997 and 2012 have virtually all been concentrated in small groups of companies. About 70% of industries, he estimated, saw an increase in concentration, and it's not limited to any specific sector. Um, But it holds true really strongly for service sector retail stores and goods producing manufacturing plant. Uh, He also found out the same percentage of industries that the share of profits going towards compensation for workers has declined over that period. Which makes sense. We consistently hear about how the American economy is humming, the stock market's high, uh, and productivity is soaring, but yet wages have been stagnant. Why is that? That's largely driven by those stock buybacks that we mentioned earlier in the podcast. Uh, And really what it does is it limits the amount of dollars that are being issued to workers from that same productivity. So if there's all these terrible effects of consolidation, then why isn't the government doing anything? You know, we talked about the framework earlier of the Sherman Antitrust Act and the tools that are at the administration's disposal. So honestly, I don't know. Um, The simple explanation, and I generally don't like simple explanation, is that the Republican legislature and administration's ties to business uh, have really changed their views on monopolies. Whether it's the AT&T-Time Warner deal or the Sprint and T-Mobile deal, there's a few different mergers which were very large-scale and were held up by the Obama administration's Department of Commerce, FTC, or FCC administrations uh, that have become disappointingly allowable by the Trump administration. As simple as it sounds, we really all need to vote, Uh, and administration's views on regulation of these issues at the Department of Commerce, FTC, and FCC have far-reaching consequences that are rarely discussed, uh, but really are important when you talk to your local representatives. Uh, As we're coming up here in the midterms, it's important to ask about how they view corporate monopolies and corporate consolidation. As there become fewer and fewer markets to grow in, Uh, More cash is being dedicated to buying up competitors, all which have negative impacts for the consumer. So as we come up to November here, it's really important to kind of get those views out on the table from your representatives and make sure that they support uh, a fair and free marketplace to try to benefit each and every one of us. All right. Well, uh, that's it for this episode for anybody but Brian. Thanks again for listening, and I'll uh, be back with another episode in a couple weeks. Take care and uh, have a good day.